This morning, I would encourage you, as you take out your Bibles, to hold on to them with two hands. We have a long text in front of us. But it's an interesting and marvelous story about the work of the Lord in the lives of His people. It is a drama set out before our very eyes in several acts. And so if you would please give attention to the reading of the holy inspired Word of God. This is not merely a story. It is the authoritative Word of God. And it is sufficient for our faith and life. Genesis chapter 31. Let's, before we read, let's pray for the Lord's blessing upon us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would have your word to grow deep in our hearts, that we would be changed by it, that we would know it and love it. This we ask in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Genesis 31. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan, to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, 
and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. When it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob has fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs and tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my household gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but he did not find them. And she said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched and did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. And I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was, by day the heat consumed me, and the cold by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you for fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. 
The children are my children. The flocks are my flocks. And all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters, for their children whom they have born? Come now. Let us make a covenant. You and I. Let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jigar Saudutha. And Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, this is the next step in the story of the life of Jacob. As we said, it is a long incident. It contains the single longest speech that Jacob will give in the book of Genesis. And there are a great many things going on. Jacob has decisions to make, actions to take, things to do. But you see, behind all of this is a plan. You see... For 20 years now, there has been an interlude, as it were, in the lives of the patriarchs. The plan that the Lord has set forth to bless all of the nations through their line is on a side route for just a bit of time. And now the Lord is preparing to bring Jacob back to the promised land, back to his family, back to the line that he has ordained. And so in the midst of this story, we see God preparing Jacob. And we see the results of the way that the Lord has blessed Jacob with faith. And this occurs and manifests itself in the life that Jacob has lived. And so this morning, I would like us to see three things from this text. The first thing that we will see is the obvious story of Jacob going home a desire to go home. And then the second thing we will see is the difference of a life lived. There is a stark distinction in the way that Jacob has conducted himself and the way that Laban has conducted himself. And we see that it affects the way other people view them. And then the third thing that we will see is the protection by a Lord that is served by Jacob. The protection by the Lord. 
Let's begin then by looking at Jacob preparing to go, to go home. Now, it's interesting that there are many factors involved in this decision. After all, it has been 20 years. It's not like Jacob is making a rash decision to go back home. You can almost imagine that for some period of time of the last six years, he has been itching and wondering when that day will come. He was ready six years ago. And then he struck the deal with Laban about the flocks, and now six years have gone by. And so we can imagine that Jacob is missing his family. He misses his mother. After all, she thought he'd be gone a month or two. He misses his father. He was old when he left. Is Isaac even alive anymore? We can also imagine, I think, as we realize that Bible people are real people, that Jacob looks around and he says to himself, yeah, it's about time to go home. Dad will be proud. Look at all the flocks. Mom will be proud. Not one, two wives. Look at all the kids. She'll have grandkids all over the place. Boys, girls, it'll be a grand time. He might even say to himself, you know, even Esau now. We'll see how successful I am. I could share with him. Now is the perfect time to go back. And on top of this, he might say, there's really nothing here for me. Because you see, it's not just the call of Jacob's heart that is moving him. It's not just the conviction of his heart that draws his life back home. It's also the circumstances that God has ordained. Jacob is wondering what to do, and he hears an accusation. Do you see this in verse 1? His brothers-in-law are talking trash around the campfire. And they say, you know, it's all that Jacob's fault. We'd have flocks like crazy if he didn't steal everything. Yeah, he stole it from our father. That good-for-nothing Jacob. He's not even one of Laban's kids. What does he think he's doing? He just marries into the family and he can take over? What a thief and a liar. Jacob hears this and he says, you know... The smile around the dinner table doesn't mean too much. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had to have the, the kind of awkward pleasantry with someone that you know is talking about you behind your back, is plotting about you, is running you down? doesn't really make you want to stay, does it? God is using that circumstance. There's also the accusation that Laban gives to him. Now, Jacob tells us that his wages have been changed ten times. But what is behind that is Laban's either expressed or unexpressed thought, Jacob's not worth his wages. He doesn't really work hard enough. Why should I give him what he's worth? Perhaps you've experienced that as well. You either at your job or to help a neighbor, to help someone, you've done some work, and they look at you and they say, that's not worth what we agreed. I'll give you half. What do you do? The work's already done. Surely doesn't make you feel encouraged or want to do work for him again. You see, again, God is prodding Jacob. He's getting Jacob's attention through circumstances. And then Jacob thinks to himself, and he understands the antagonism that is present in the family. It's not just the accusation. Laban's sons don't like him. They don't want to be around him. They want to see him fail. And Laban, the same way, Jacob puts it this way. He says, you know, your father doesn't regard me anymore the way he did. 
Now, I want you to think about that. Jacob says, it's not like the good old days when your father deceived me and tricked me and tried to cheat me. It's worse. Ouch. All of these things are going on. Perhaps you've had circumstances in your life that are hard. And what I want to challenge you with now this morning in this is that what God is doing to Jacob and what he may be doing in your life is he is giving you a providential push. You see, Jacob is much more ready to hear what God is about to say when the circumstances have arranged his life in a certain way. He's ready to move on. He's in a frame of mind to listen. You all know what this is like. You do this in your own life in our meager and feeble attempts to manipulate people. This is when the kids all of a sudden get the cleaning bug. And when they decide that just today is the day to bring mom breakfast in bed. And when they decide to get all of their homework done early. And mom looks and she knows that the other shoe is going to drop. That she's being prepared. She's being primed for a big decision here. And you see, God is doing that, not in a manipulative way, but God is in control of your circumstances. You see, the sovereign God does not let things happen by accident. He's in control of your life. And then what God does is a third and final thing. After having convicted Jacob in his heart, after having arranged the circumstances, God then speaks to Jacob in his word. Providence has set the stage But the call of God comes forward. Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. God speaks in the life of Jacob. Now, the wisdom of God is seen in the timing, because circumstances have made Jacob ready to listen. But we need to understand something that's very important. It's a good short saying to memorize. Providence is not your Bible. We ought not just to look to circumstances and to take our cue from that and determine our course of action. Or worse yet, to determine what God wants us to do merely from circumstances. We must look to God's Word. We must follow God's Word. His providence can help us and assist us and illustrate for us His commands, but it is His Word that is our guiding stone. You see, Jacob does something very simple, but very important, that every single one of you, from the youngest to the oldest, can do. He listens to God, and then he does what God says. It's that simple. All of the complexities of Bible study and life planning and determining God's will really come down to that, listening to God and doing what He says. And you see, this is where God's Word trumps providence. How many a time I have heard a child of God blunt the force of the Word of God and a clear command by looking and saying, you know, I just don't have a real peace about that. As if somehow that makes God's Word invalid. That our circumstances, our providence, our feelings... Trump God's clear command. 
Well, I know I should work on my marriage, but I just don't have a peace about that. I don't think God is calling me to talk to other people about the Lord Jesus. I just don't feel comfortable about that. When it's a clear command in Scripture. You see, Jacob is prepared, but he acts based on God's Word. And this is where then we see, as he prepares to leave and the plans unfold, the differences of a life lived in accordance with God's Word. The first thing that we see is Jacob's leading. Now, Jacob hears the voice of God. He knows what he must do, and he knows he must lead, but he has a really hard task. He has to go and convince not one, but two wives to do what he says. Any man who has ever had to convince their wife to do something knows about this. So you could just imagine, can't you see it in your mind? He's out in the field, he's pacing. Well, what if I said this? No, 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 she's going to bring that up from last month. Okay, what about? No, that won't work either. Okay, and he's going back and forth. And then he's saying to himself, well, this will work with Rachel. Oh, but Leah's going to be all over that. Okay, but if I sit, no, then Rachel will be mad. And he's going back and forth in his mind. He doesn't know what to do. He does, And he says to himself, I want you to understand this. He comes to the conclusion that there is no way to convince them. He's simply got to speak straight to them. He needs a miracle. He needs to tell his wives what they need to do, and the two of them need to agree. They can't agree on what to serve for supper. And he has to get the two of them to come together and change their whole life. And he says, Lord, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go forward. He calls them out into the field for privacy's sake. I think at least partly because he doesn't want word to get out that he's leaving. But I wonder in my sanctified imagination if part of it is he doesn't want other people to be around if they're yelling at him. He takes them out into the field. And what he begins then to do is to speak to them in a fashion that follows the life that they have lived together for these past 20 years. He says to them, you know that there are certain things that we need to do in life, ladies. We need to obey the Lord. And I've done that. I have not repaid evil with evil. Look at verse 6. He says, you know that I served your father with all my strength. I worked hard even though he cheated me. You know that. You watched me. That's not a throwaway line. They saw that day upon day, week upon week, month upon month, year upon year. You can't memorize that. You can't have a shortcut to that. That's living a life in obedience to God's Word. And he says to them in verse 11, he says, You also know that I trust God. All these many years, I've trusted the Lord that He would take care of us. You remember when I had the dream? And do you remember when the angel said to me, You need to go with this crazy plan of taking the spotted, speckled, striped animals. And he said, We trusted God, didn't we? Yes, we did. And what happened? The Lord came through. And then he begins to follow with his teaching about God. He says, you know, the Lord has blessed me and us in spite of every circumstance. Look at verse 5. He says, I see that your father does not regard me with favor, but the God of my father has been with me. 
You know who God is, ladies. He'll take care of us. And then he says in verse 7 that you know that God is just. Our cause is right. And we don't need to worry how it's going to shake out in the end. God is just and he will vindicate us and lift us up. Your father tried to cheat me every way, but God would not let him. And then the last thing he says is, that's a scary thing. In verse 13, he says, God is calling me. We have to answer this call. Some of you know this. Some of you know this call that comes to your family and you move across the country. You move to another nation. You go to a different school. You do different things because God has laid it upon you. And Jacob lays all this out. And you can almost imagine he's sitting, waiting, hands perhaps nervous, How are they going to respond? After all, he's asking them to leave their family, to leave their protection. And God brings about a miracle. Do you see that? The text says that Rachel and Leah, in verse 14, answered and said to him, Yes, we're with you. Now think about this. They've been at each other's throats for at least 13 years, 7 plus 6. Maybe more than that. They've been fighting and squabbling and scheming, and they're completely together with him. The irony here is they're even more upset with Laban than Jacob is. They've been holding it in. And now they have an opportunity. Husbands, be careful when you give your wives free reign to let it all hang out. You might get what you asked for. You see, they know in this culture it's not a good thing to criticize your parents. We could learn something from this, young people. You see, they had cause for complaint. They'd been sold by their parents, not denied some sort of technology or toy or something. They'd been sold. And you see, what happened was, what they, this conversation is, All of the money that Jacob paid was supposed to be kept by the father as a dowry to protect the daughters in case Jacob died. It was an inheritance. And you know what he did? He took it out and he spent it on fancy vacations. And souped up camels. And big tents on stuff for himself. And you see they're sitting there watching this happen. Oh my. And you can imagine Rachel, her head's about to explode because it's 14 years of this because of the trickery. And then six, you can imagine this. And the flood just comes out. And you see, this is where Laban's lies come back to haunt him. This is where the chickens come home to roost. This is where, if I can put it this way, the actions and the character that we live day in, day out, month in, month out, have an effect on the people around us. You see, I think a temptation we have as Christians is to fool ourselves in thinking if we just memorize the Romans road and we can give a perfect gospel presentation, it doesn't matter how we live. People will have to listen to us. It's the Bible after all. And it doesn't really matter how we live in front of others. 
But you see, this passage teaches us otherwise. Jacob has sweated and frozen in the heat and in the cold. He has been honest. He has been hardworking. He has been diligent. And people saw. And because of that, when he spoke, they acted. and They agreed. And Laban schemed and lied and took the shortcut and thought it would never come back to haunt him. And it did. You see, what he did with the dowry was watched. How he treated his family was seen. And they knew that anything that he would say would not be true because they watched him live otherwise. How are you living in front of the world? Are you honest and diligent at work? Are you the most reliable employee at your company? Do they count on you when things blow up? How are you in your family? Are you diligent? Do you work hard to keep a home, a place that is a place of safety and peace for your children and your husband? Are you diligent about your schoolwork? Do you prepare for exams, children? Do people know that you are someone who can be trusted to help them, to have the right answer, to look out for other people? You see, these are not just matters of keeping mom and dad from being angry, of keeping your wife off your back, of making your husband smile. No, these are matters that have eternal implications as others watch us. Are you seeking to follow the Lord like Jacob? Inculcating God's word into your spouse and your family. Or are you seeking to merely take every shortcut possible and put on a show like Laban? You see, Laban's chickens come home to roost, even in the fact that Rachel is not completely free from her father's influence. She takes these household gods... Now, we don't really know why she does this. It could be that she's secretly some kind of pagan. I don't think so. I think she's a confused believer. It's possible that these household uh, idols or gods were used as divination. Perhaps Laban thinks he can use them to find Jacob, and she's afraid that Laban will do that, and she wants to take that weapon away from him. It's also possible that these Household gods were used as evidence of who gets the inheritance. And this might be a way that Rachel is poking her father back in the eye. You won't give me the inheritance. Oh, how about if I take the will and last testament with me? Then what are you going to do? Good luck. Could be some of that. It could also be just merely something as simple as Rachel wants to hurt her father. Because this is the way that she has been hurt. It's a difference that a life lived makes. But in the final analysis, it's not what we do that keeps us safe. It's not how well we listen that protects us. It's the work of the Lord Himself. And we see this in the protection by a Lord served. Because you see, Jacob has done about everything that he can right. He's got the family on board. He's got the camels packed. He picks the perfect time to go. 
It's as if he's putting his watch in front of his eyes. You know, this is like sometimes young people at home wait for that light to click off in their parents' room and the door to shut, and then they, they're not asleep yet. Hold on. All right, Dad can't go more than 10 minutes without falling asleep. They're asleep now. Now we can go do what we want to do. You see, that's what Jacob is doing. He waits for sheep shearing season. He, I, I know Laban's going to be far away. He's been doing this thing where he wants his flock separate from my flocks. He won't even know that I'm gone. And this is true. He takes off and it's three days before word gets back to Laban. And Laban is furious. I don't know whether he's more angry that Jacob has left or he's more angry that he has been tricked. Because nobody tricks Laban. And you can almost imagine what happens here. He's not about to let it go. There's something that happens here in the story that's behind the scenes. He doesn't quick run and pack a bag and run out the door after them. No, no, no. He knows he can go faster than they do. He doesn't have to drive flocks. So he gathers up his men. This is not grandpa going after him on a camel. This is a small army with spears, swords, and shields, and they ride out. They don't take flocks. They don't take women. They don't take children. They are out for blood. This is a very calculated thing that Laban is doing, and it's a long pursuit, seven days long before they get to them. His fury is great. What can Jacob do? An armed force is about to come upon him. He's got women and children and flocks. How can he possibly be protected? What trick can he pull out of his bag? There is nothing. And it's at that point that God steps in. That God physically, as it were, interposes himself between Laban and Jacob. And he says to Laban, this one is mine. Don't touch him. As a matter of fact, you can't say anything good to him and you can't say anything bad to him. Now what he means by that is, don't think you can come up with some sweet talk to get him to go back. Keep your mouth closed. And don't think you can threaten him. Tell him you're going to do things. Keep your mouth closed. God says, this one is mine. This plan is mine. And Laban has no choice but to accept it. You see, this is what the Lord does for His children. The enemy is around you raging, prowling like a lion, the Scripture says, seeking to devour you. The devil would like nothing more than to destroy your marriage, make your children leave the faith, rip every cent out of your bank account, wreck your cars, give you bunions, give you coughs, give you backaches destroy you. And what God says is, this one is mine, Satan, purchased with the blood of my son. Back off. When God is for you like that, who can be against you? This is the Lord of the universe intervening here, making His will known. And I want you to be aware of something as well, that God does this first. Jacob doesn't even ask. As a matter of fact, Jacob doesn't even know God is doing this at this point. And that's often how God acts in our lives. Don't you have the experience several years later of saying, 
wow, did I avoid a major blunder. I could have done this, but I didn't. I thought about going here, but I prayed about it and decided not to. That's the Lord protecting you. That's not luck. That's not a good break. That's not wits. That's God. He's always protecting you in that way. Protects His children. I want you to also see that God protects the integrity of Jacob even when there is a problem in the house. Jacob says, I haven't done anything bad. Now Laban tries every trick in the book. Can you imagine this? Laban walks in into the camp with an armed group and he starts out with, focus on the family moment. You didn't let me kiss my grandbabies. That's all I ever wanted, was to pat my granddaughter on the head, my sweet blonde granddaughter. Oh, please. Now, you could just imagine what's going on here is, he is getting dagger looks of, yeah, right, from Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. Because on a dime, he turns to, you know, I could kill you all in a minute. Whoa. Where did my three sons go? And then when that doesn't work, then he, he moves again. And he says, you know, um, here's the situation. You took my gods. What? You see, he's trying everything he can. Because he knows he has no opening because God has placed a hedge between him and Jacob. And Jacob is honest and clear in his conscience. And he says, you can't imagine Jacob saying this. The most valuable thing in Jacob's life is Rachel, isn't it? And what does he do? He puts a death sentence on her head. Anybody that's got the gods, they won't live. Whoa. That's how honest Jacob is. And God protects them. And I want you to notice this. This is not an encouragement to steal household gods or to lie. But I want you to notice that God doesn't require this family to be perfect before He protects them. They're a mess. And the Lord protects them and looks out for them. You know, there is a cliffhanger here building and God is the one who solves the problem in spite of sin. So the last thing that God uses to protect Jacob and his family is Laban's last gasp. Laban doesn't know what to do, so he says in verse 43, okay, how about we make a covenant? Now, you have to understand, this is after Jacob has just had his last nerve stepped on. And he lets it all hang out to Laban. And Laban has no answer. And so what he says is, let's make a covenant. And you see, what, ha what is happening here is, Laban needs a covenant because he's afraid of Jacob. Not the reverse. Because you'll notice who is to testify to this covenant. It's not Laban's God. It's Jacob's. He wants Jacob to know that if you mess up, your God will get you. So you better leave me alone and don't ever come past here and don't attack me. Now think about this. The one who has all the power. The men with the spears and the swords. The one who is in control. He is shaking in his boots in front of a guy Two ladies and a bunch of kids and goats. 
when you feel like spears and swords are around you, that there are laws set up against you and powerful businesses that are after you and banks that don't want to let you do things and teachers that are out to get you. You need to remember it doesn't matter if all the powers of the world are arrayed against you. If the Lord is for you, no one can be against you. You, some kids, and some goats. It's all you need when God is on your side. So what do we see from this? We see that our actions matter, that who we are matter. And so this morning, you need to reevaluate your life. How are you living before yourself, your God, and your community? Not so that God will give you a pat on the back for a checklist job done, but when others look at you, do they see Jesus? Do they see a difference? Do they notice that there is something different about you? Does that give you the opportunity to speak into their life because they know you are not phony? They know you are not last minute. That this is who you are all the time. With all of your imperfections and warts. You see, that's what we are called to do. That's what it means to be like Jacob. To stumble around and follow after the Lord and other people notice and see. Are you ready for that? Because that requires real faith, real trust. It's not something you do in a moment. It's something that's with you every day, everywhere you go. If you're ready for that challenge, the Lord will be with you. He will protect you. He will put other people into your life that will see the difference. Because that's how He builds His kingdom. Let's pray.